Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, July 24th, 2023. On the show today, news and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Epcot's magical world of Barbie show. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that advocating for your own needs is the key to a healthy relationship. So it's okay to ask to see the candy before you get into the van. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Yeah, well, come on, Len. I have my standards. I mean, even if they do have candy, if the guy in the back of the van is only offering you know, a circus penis or God help us, Necco wafers, the, the deal's <laughs> off. I mean, Sorry. it's got to be at least a Milky Way and not one of those fun size things. I'm talking the full size bar before I'm getting the back of any. It's just a non starter, Jim. It's just a non starter. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. You, you have to establish boundaries. Absolutely. Now, speaking of, of candy-related stuff, you, you've talked previously about the crazy, over-the-top Halloween that you experienced in Celebration. And how much candy did you give out last year? Last year, we bought 3,000 full-sized candy bars. Oh, and, and that still didn't did make not, it Did to, not make it to 8 p.m. <laughs> oh, cow. All right. Yeah. So, I was just looking at the calendar. We are 13 weeks and change out from October 31st. So what is the plan? Are we already buying? What are we doing? It'll it'll start in August, actually. So so typically we time it to around the beginning of the first preseason NFL game. That's when Mm -hmm. you know it's it's time to start preparing. And that's generally when Costco gets in their pallet-sized shipments Mm -hmm. of of candy bars. It's, It's really fun to go into a Costco and say, I would like 3,000 candy bars because there's that initial <laughs> laugh from people. <laughs> what a joker. And then they're like, yeah, you know, uh, all right, back up the truck. So yeah. I, I'm sorry that immediately I was immediately channeling Stephen first in animal host. May I have 10,000 marbles, please? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the thing that I like is the 3,000 candy bars, then picking up like a slice of pizza and a rotisserie chicken on the way out. <laughs> And floss. Don't forget floss. It's all about balance, Jim. It's all about balance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. By the way, did you see the – I don't know if you've ever read – there's a Reddit devoted to like the Costco food deals. And apparently whenever like a new CEO gets named at Costco, the first set of letters that this person gets involves essentially death threats around not raising the price of hot dogs – which are a dollar fifty and have been a dollar fifty for like twenty years, and people will be like, "Hey, look, you know, welcome to the job. It's super high pressure, but I know you're going to do great. By the way, if you touch the price of hot dogs, I'll kill you." It's a lost leader. It's a lost leader. No, 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 absolutely. But when you think about where things are positioned in that store to drive you to, you oh, know, yeah. whether where you go to get the hot dogs or where you go to get the rotisserie chicken and yeah. everything, you have to walk by as you're getting there. Oh, God, it's ingenious. I mean, fiendish, but ingenious. You it's know. true. And uh, and if anyone out there uh, is looking for a fun, uh, like, corporate outing, call mm-hmm. your local Costco and ask if they will give you, like, the, quote, factory tour. Because they, they do it, and I've done mm-hmm. it, and it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, even in – the one that I did was in Greensboro, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, a relatively small town compared to mm-hmm. some other towns. But, like, the fact that the bakery essentially operated 24 hours a day was wow. was kind of incredible. And, like, the amount of inventory in terms of dollars that they have mm-hmm. dedicated to things like jewelry, mm-hmm. which you would not think would mm-hmm. be that big of a thing. Like, who's going to Costco for jewelry? But apparently it's a huge – 
thing for them. Yeah, but it's so they'll they'll do the tour for either nothing or like it for like twenty five dollars. It's super cheap. Wow, I had no idea this was an option. Yeah, yeah, and if or even like even like high schools, like if you just want to go <laughs> see what what it's like to from an operations perspective to see how Costco runs twenty four seven. Yeah. It's a great little outing. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right, Jim, before we uh, uh, do our shout out to subscribers, you have a quick update on one of our friends, right? If you know Disney history, then you're aware of Jim Corcus. Mm-hmm. He's written 30 books to date. And Jim took a bad fall back in January, which led to a stay in the hospital. And again, Len, the problem with going to the hospital is they find things. Yeah. <laughs> Always poking around and examining. And that's the thing. They found arterial blood blockage, which then led to, I want to say, a quadruple bypass. And then while they're poking around, they they found uh, a bunch of stuff. A, a bunch of stuff. And just look, you know, Jim is in the hospital recovering right now. And we, we all wish him a speedy recovery. But Mark Goldhaber, formerly of Mouse Planet, has set up a GoFundMe to help Mr. Corcus with his hospital bills, which are going to be sizable. And mm. the nice thing is the community has come out in force. Mark set a goal of $60,000. The current the campaign suddenly sits at 38000 mm. And the reason that Len and I are, are talking about this today is we'd love to see that, you know, that GoFundMe meet its 60000 goal. So if you have it to spare, folks, if you could do us a favor and head on over, you know, we owe so much to Mr. Corcus, and it's time to pay that back, folks, and just wish Jim well and, and want him back on his feet as soon as possible. Yeah, I hope, uh, hope he recovers very, very quickly. Yeah, anything you guys can do to help, uh, I would say go to uh, GoFundMe.com and look for Jim Corcus, K-O-R-K-I-S. There we go. It'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for that. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Noelle Marie, Michelle Brown, Chad Tulumalo, and Mike Stark. And the longtime subscribers, Z Dobson, Phil Marino, hey Phil, Gene McIndome, and SLSCJK. Jim, these are the Disney cast members testing the next level of immersive gags in Disneyland's Toontown. They say they're disappointed that the classic cartoon gag of pianos falling on guests was nixed by Disney's lawyers, but happy that the compromise of falling anvils could take its place. True story. <laughs> safety first, Jim. Safety first. I just love that moment, though. That's like, hi, could you put on this bicycle helmet? Why? No reason. <laughs> <laughs> just if you just like stand three feet to your left, that'd be that'd be just great. There we go. While I was researching this one, I, I had to go through a, the list of actual gags in Toontown. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many of the articles there are on gags in Toontown, Jim? And and how have we never written one? <laughs> like we we need to go through and do all the inside jokes. <laughs> I will put that on the list. (laughs) All right, folks, let's do the news. All right, we have a new sponsor for today's news segment. And before we announce that new sponsor, I'd like to thank Tammy Whiting and everyone over at Storybook Destinations for sponsoring the show for the last few years. We've done a number of live events with Tammy, and they've all been great, and they do Mm -hmm. a fantastic job over there. Mm -hmm. All right, so the new sponsor is touringplans.com. Did you know we have a travel agency? We need a better tagline than that. (laughs) Anyway, we can uh, help book your next trip, and it comes with a free Touring Plane subscription. So check it out at touringplanes.com slash travel. All right, Jim, on to the news. This morning, as we're recording this, Universal Orlando announced a conversion of its old kid zone land in Universal Studios Florida to a DreamWorks-themed land. Jim, if they don't call the old Woody Woodpecker Nuthouse Coaster the Troller Coaster... 
an, oh. oppor- an opportunity will be lost. <laughs> oh my God, that is such a beautiful piece of low-hanging fruit. You're right, they have to. They have to. <laughs> well, so what do you think is going in here? And is it a preview of, of other things? Remember, we have that park that Universal Creative is prepping for Texas. Right, the, uh, the family park, yeah. There we go. And what I'm going to be fascinated by is to see the mix of elements that go into this DreamWorks-themed mm. land and what winds up going into that park in Texas. The Venn diagram of the intended audience for both of these spaces is pretty tight, Len. Yeah, you think that they could test small things out here in preparation mm-hmm. For that, So uh, sort of like a living laboratory, that would be neat. I note that the intellectual property, the franchises that mm-hmm. Universal says is going in here include Shrek, Trolls, mm-hmm. and Kung Fu Panda. Yep. And special meet and greets. I mean, this isn't a huge space, but it's enough to do something, right? Oh, no, 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 absolutely. And, but more to the point, if you think about how just in the past week, Mm-hmm. We've had the Villain Con attraction at the front of the park open. And if you right. think about all of the Illumination-themed stuff that wound up there, it's just it's in- really interesting to watch DreamWorks leaning into its IP the way it is right now. And the, the positions of these things in the park, too, you're being sorted mm-hmm. towards the front part of the park versus oh, yeah. the Harry Potter stuff in the back. I mean, it's decent mm-hmm. spacing from a traffic and uh, pedestrian foot traffic uh, perspective. No, very clever. Very awesome. clever. Yeah, excited to see what happens here. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Jim, over at Disney Springs, uh, Disney Springs is getting a new Indian restaurant named Eat, E-E-T. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Manit Shalon, uh, mm-hmm. who has won a James Beard Award uh, mm-hmm. and is also on the Food Network, is opening up an Indian restaurant. It's over in the marketplace. I think it's, it's going to be in the space of the old Wolfgang Puck mm-hmm. Express, which is over mm-hmm. by the Goofy Candy Company. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Indian food is not something that there's a lot of in... Disney World. I mean, outside of Sanaa, is there, is there anything? Well, uh, no, not not at all. And and what's fascinating is that it is definitely bubbling up again around the fringes. In fact, yeah. just in my teeny tiny little town of New Boston, New Hampshire, we have this lovely couple that's taken over our, our general store in town. Mm. And earlier this week, Nancy and I had some lovely chicken and vegetable samosas. And mm. I was razzing the manager there because it was like they had a, a sign literally on the window about, you know, ask about our chicken biryani and it's like so i ask about the chicken <laughs> oh no 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 that's a friday saturday thing and it's like well don't taunt me really just, it's just a two-day yeah. week thing wow it's that special yeah there you go so, yeah i mean so it, this I mean, is fascinating yeah i mean the good thing too about indian food is that if you're at uh it reheats really well so if you're staying like mm-hmm. at a dbc mm-hmm. loading up on some garlic naan and some chicken tikka with and mm-hmm. you know having leftovers later on that night sound mm-hmm. delightful Jim, did I ever tell you that Laurel and I actually celebrate Diwali, the Indian holiday, every year? Do you really? It's the Festival of Lights, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm of the belief that I am, I am ready to celebrate any culture's holiday at any time. <laughs> Ramadan, I am, I am completely down with it. You know, uh, uh, Eid, you know, I, you know, I will celebrate all of the holidays. Yeah, I mean, if it's uh, Japanese cherry blossoms, absolutely. Let's, you know, tell me what I need to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So every year we uh, we go for Indian food on. Uh, on Diwali. It's nice to see that the endless series of festivals that World Showcase is it's finally broken you. Exactly. Oh, I got to go eat this food. Okay, good. All right, Jim, on to listener questions. Here's mm-hmm. one from Adam from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I've loved the show. I'm from Central Pennsylvania where the Little League World Series is every year. And I saw this snippet in a local Facebook article 
regarding spending in Pennsylvania during a few shows that Taylor Swift had performed. I think you may be onto something regarding where people might have spent their money. So, Jim, this is where we were talking about a couple weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. that uh, the amount of money that Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is sucking up in terms mm-hmm. of discretionary travel spending in the United States is not nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Adam says, uh, when you did the show about Disney offering Pop Century rooms at a steep discount during the pandemic, my wife and I tried our luck on one of those rooms and scored the awesome deal using the tips you outlined for narrowing the search for a hotel. We also got a great deal on a flight and had to do an adults-only weekend trip. And it was one of the best trips we've had amongst all the many trips we've had to Walt Disney World. Oh, thank you for that, Adam. I appreciate it. Cool, cool. All right. On to uh, an email from Scott who says, in the last Disney Dish podcast, you had a discussion about lead times for new rides. And it got me thinking about park expansion. There's no doubt Disney World has issues with its current parks. But what if they decided they wanted to build a new gate? perhaps in response to epically going to steal our business first. <laughs> so I tried to figure out where it could go. All right, Scott. Uh, so Scott says, I found the Reedy Creek Improvement District comprehensive plan from 2020. And there's really only two places that are big enough and contiguous in reasonable proximity to the existing gates. The first one is over by the TTC on the side mm-hmm. of Fort Wilderness and uh, the Fort Wilderness Recreation Areas. And then the other one is north and west of ESPN's Wide World of Sports. And if Disney sells off ESPN, I'll be very curious if the sports complex is excluded from the deal. I mean, they could just rename it, right? Right, Scott? But, but Jim, going back to the thing about if there was another gate, where would it mm-hmm. go? And I think, I think Scott's onto something here because I think you and I have looked at the comprehensive plan. And, and we thought that if there was going to be a fifth gate, the most likely place for it would be over by the TTC. They have been kicking the can in regard to upgrading and improving the monorail, mm-hmm. both the resort loop around Seven Seas Lagoon and likewise the leg that runs over to, to Epcot. And you'll know Disney is getting serious about a potential fifth gate when you suddenly see some heavy reinvestment in the monorail. Mm. If you were to add another park to the mix in this section of the resort, you would need out ahead of that to really step up your transportation game. Jim, might it involve $350 million in road bonds that uh, that Reedy Creek issued before it got taken over by the Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board? Because here's the thing, right? If they, mm-hmm. if they put another park over between the TTC and that, mm-hmm. the amount of traffic that would be going on oh. World Drive towards oh, yeah. those Magic Kingdom toll booths mm-hmm. would basically double. Right. So they would have to do major road enhancements in that area. And I'm not saying that they're doing anything. I am saying that we're trying to figure out where they are spending $350 million later on Mm -hmm. this decade in road expansion. And it's it's coming in from the west side of the Magic Kingdom towards the middle of property. All right. All right, Scott. You know, if, uh, if in five years, Scott, we find out you're right, uh, we'll send you a coffee mug from the, from the Disney dish or something. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. Joe TV writes in with this. Hoping you can do a story on the H2O products now that we can't buy any at Disney. What are the new shampoo products in the parks and cruise line? <sighs> Jim, the number of people who love H2O because of Disney theme parks, like that has to be... Like a major a major source of that of that line. I mean, Laurel hoards this stuff. So I I, I called Christina, mm-hmm. who has been staying at Disney hotels for us uh, mm-hmm. recently, and she notes that it's still H two O products in mm-hmm. the resorts, uh, Joe, but it's not the mm-hmm. individual bottles anymore. They're um, they're filling up those big attached canisters. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those. 
Right. Yeah, because they're so they're so hard to fill in the small bottles that you take with you, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Christy thinks that they're uh, that they're running through the existing supply, um, and we're mm-hmm. actually doing our next hotel stay uh, in about mm-hmm. ten days. So we'll do an mm-hmm. update uh, after that. Also, they're no longer selling the H two O stuff in the shop, so it could just be the the industrial supply that they've got left. Makes sense. Yeah, I'd love to know. I'd love to know who's getting that new contract though, because you know that's got to be worth a lot just from a promotional perspective. Oh no, no, absolutely. But again, I miss my old days of walking down the hallway and oh, there's the, the cart in the hallway and filch. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Whom among us hasn't done it? All right. Edgar writes in with this about Lightning Lane. He says, hi, I love the show. I want to thank you for the Walt Disney World Speedway history. I participated in the Richard Petty experience once, and it was great. I had no idea at the time of the track's history, so this was super helpful. On the first episode about that story, you were talking about Disney's wait times ballooning and how the Lightning Lane rate takes four guests from the Lightning Line to one regular guest in the standby line, and that goes all the way up to 99 to 1 in the ratio. I think, though, with a normal running ride and flow, Disney does not have 80 Lightning Lane people to 20 standby people. It's more likely the flow is 20 Lightning Lane for 80 standby. So while the, the minimum flow is 4 to 1, I don't believe they sell that many Lightning Lanes. So typically, the standby weight will not feel like 80 to 20. hope this makes sense. All right. Hmm. So that's a, a good point. I don't think they're, uh, they're selling uh, 80% of rides capacity. Uh, to hmm. Lightning Lane either, um, Edgar. But the thing that comes into play here uh, are things like make goods, VIP hmm. tours, DAS use, and as we noted in last week's show, things like child swap. Hmm. So the most recent attraction we counted was last week, and it was a big thunder. And we counted around 1,230 people joining the Lightning Lane line at Big Thunder between 11 a.m. and noon. So the average number of guests that we've seen in an hour on Big Thunder Mountain is around 1,500-ish. And it's been as high as 1,900. And Jim, I don't know how many trains they were running on Big Thunder to get to 1,900 an hour, but that must have been constant. Okay. So at at, at 1,500 guests an hour, which is the average, um, the 1,230 guests we saw in Lightning Lane is about 82% of the ride's capacity. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty close to that four to one ratio that we hypothesize. That it is. Holy yeah. cow. So I think I think that number is so close to 80% that it's not a coincidence. But yeah, to, to Edgar's point, I don't think they're selling 80% of a ride's capacity at Lightning Lane. But uh, that's how many people are using the line. So yeah, good good point there, Edgar. I think it's probably more like 50, 60% for Lightning Lane. And if there's a way that we could count that, I would love to know it. Okay. <laughs> right, guys, if, you, if anybody has ideas on that, let me know. Okay, okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return, Jim tells us about the magical world of Barbie show that ran at Epcot in 1994. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. You probably get the very same sorts of form letter emails that I get, like the one I got earlier today from the Chicago Tribune, which informed me that my monthly subscription to the online version of that newspaper, which was founded back in 1847, by the way, had just been renewed, which is fine, by the way. I I use the Trib all the time when I'm doing research for those stories I share with Lynn Testover on Disney Dish. But mind you, when I initially signed up for the Chicago Tribune, I got a really great deal. Uh, Six months for just a dollar. Of course, nowadays, the Trib costs me a bit more. I got $4.99 a month. But having access to that newspaper's archives, which go back more than 150 years, is really worth it. I should also point out here that the reason I am so sure about what I pay monthly for the Chicago Tribune is because of rocket money. 
The personal finance app that helps you monitor your spending and, if necessary, can actually help you lower your bills by finding and then canceling your unwanted subscriptions. Here's how Rocket Money works. It can quickly and easily pull together a listing of the ongoing subscriptions you have. At your leisure, you can then review this listing Rocket Money has compiled. And if there's a subscription in there that you no longer wish to pay for, well, just hit cancel. And Rocket Money will then cancel it for you. It's that easy. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I, why would I ever need something like Rocket Money? I, I don't really subscribe to all that much stuff. Think again, friend. Most Americans think that they're only spending around $80 a month on subscriptions when the real number is actually closer, a lot closer, to $200 a month. And think about this, folks. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money to date, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Wouldn't you love to have that sort of cash flow flowing back into your wallet rather than out? So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash dish. That's rocketmoney.com slash dish. One more time for the folks out in the family room who've really got the volume cranked on that 55-inch flat screen. rocketmoney.com slash dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. As you and I were talking about what we were going to research for this week's Disney dish, I think mm-hmm. you and I both thought that it would need to be tied into the major movie franchise that's mm-hmm. debuting this weekend. That was your, your idea. And, and, and my first thought was, what the hell has Robert Oppenheimer ever done in a Disney theme park, right? <laughs> What, if I, what am I missing here, right? I, and you were like, no, Barbie. I have to admit, I was reaching out to friends and, you know, the, the company. It's like, did you ever, instead of, you know, the Apollo launch at the end of virtually ever Epcot show, nobody ever thought of a, something from Los Alamos? It's like, no, 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 we didn't no, go no, that no. way. Yeah, uh, so, uh, so Robert Oppenheimer and, and Disney, Jim, I don't think it's going to be a long show. All right. But then you were like, oh, no, no, and Barbie. I'm like, oh, yeah. God. I remember this. And the, the thing that I remember about it, Jim, is like mm-hmm. looking at it and going, this can't be true. Like it's got to be an urban legend. It did, in fact, happen. It originally opened in 93 for one performance and then was shut down for six weeks because Mattel was so hands-on. We'll get to that later on in the show. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Disney has had an up-and-down relationship with Mattel over the years. I mean, for example, they were among the very first sponsors of the Mickey Mouse Club TV show back in 55. Ooh. In fact, they were among the first to license stuff for the show. In fact, there was oh. a mouse guitar that you could buy. It was actually a four-stringed instrument with a crank on the side that if you turned the crank, there was a music box inside that played the Mickey Mouse Club March. Wow. And they made good bank over that, so people were happy at that point. On the other hand, if we jump ahead to September of 1972, Disney was large-scale upset with Mattel because this is when they announced that just 20 miles down the road from Walt Disney World, they were planning on building their own theme park and resort, Circus World. September 1972. Walt Disney World has only been open for 11 months at this point. Again, here's Mattel flush with all of that sweet, sweet Hot Wheels money. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's how they say it every night before they go to bed, the executives. There we go. Oh, 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 oh sweet, sweet Hot Wheels money. So they were going to take that and spend it on building. And and the interesting thing about this theme park, Len, it, this was, for example, this park was designed by Disney Imagineering legend, Rolly Crump. Really? Yeah. And if you saw the announcement just this past week, for the America's Heartland Project. I was going to put it in the show notes and didn't. Oh, yeah, this uh, <laughs> a, the, um, a Disneyland-sized theme park being announced for what? Northern Oklahoma? Right. First question. Can this theme park get the rights to Universal's Twister attraction? <laughs> question the first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but I saw this. I'm like, what? But what? what? There's a whole thing. With, I have like a million questions about this. But anyway, go ahead. It's a fascinating project. And if it opens. We're going. You and I will be there on day one. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's supposed to open in 2026. But how many theme parks have been announced and yeah. models and concept art and that sort of thing? You know, have we seen that that's as far as it ever got? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. We're hopeful that America's Heartland Park actually does make it off the drawing board. Two billion dollars in investment is a lot for Oklahoma. It is. All it right. Is. We'll see. All we'll right. See. But anyway, um, and seriously, at some point, we need to do a deeper dive on Circus World because Disney was so threatened by this park six mm -hmm. weeks after Mattel made the announcement. Disney announces, this is theme park poker. We see your $50 million and we raise you $50 million. This uh -huh. is when they announced that Walt Disney World was going to get Space Mountain and an East Coast version of Pirates and Tom Sawyer's Island and the Golf Resort and the Walt Disney Story. I mean, it's one oh, of these, yeah. literally, if you read any press coverage of this announcement, it's like, and we lay down that card and we lay down that card. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Mattel. <laughs> yeah, okay, so they were serious about that. I don't remember at this time, was Bush Gardens a thing in Central Florida then? This would have been, oof, the Dark Continent days. And and remember, in the middle of that, you had a Cypress Gardens. Oh, right, yeah. It wasn't until Universal opened in 1990 that their center of gravity for tourism shifted from Disney World I mean, those attractions over on, on the way to Tampa actually did quite well until Universal opened. But the moment Universal opened, the center of gravity shifted more mm. to Universal and SeaWorld's direction. Uh, and a lot of those other parks just died on the vine, you know, over the next decade. But Disney and Mattel eventually make up. In fact, if we jump ahead to the late 80s, early 90s, and this is the time that Disney has that amazing run of movies featuring Disney princesses, uh, Ariel, mm. Belle, and Jasmine, that, that do great at the box office, that Mattel is like, they want to wrestle the Disney doll-making license away from Tyco, their direct rival. October of 87, Mattel had already made a deal with Disney to produce infant and preschool toys. I mean, the, they got heavily into the Disney babies business, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, that sort of thing. But again, given how huge ticket sales for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin were, oh, sure, it's like yeah. Mattel is willing to do anything to get into this particular aspect of toy making with the Walt Disney Company. So this is what they offer up at that time. We will start building toys that are based on Disney theme park attractions. Mm. We will double down on this effort by agreeing to sponsor certain attractions at the Disney theme parks. And to prove that we mean business here, 
we will offer you guys the right to use our most popular characters in your parks. Ooh, really? Wow. This is what gets Eisner's attention, because he knows from his days of working at ABC, being in charge of their Saturday morning programming. Yep. On average, Len, you know, every year, 58 million Barbies are sold. That's 100 Barbies every minute of every day. Wow. At the same time, Eisner's sitting there with the reports on his desk about Epcot's continuing attendance problems. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, yeah. Okay, one particular area where Epcot is just has this almost impossible to fill deficit is young girls 6 to 12 years of age. Okay. So this is why Eisner is willing to make this deal in November of 91, which, by the way, takes the original deal that Mattel had with Disney, which started in 87, and extends it into the early 2000s. Oh, a 10-year deal. Wow. At least 10 years. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. But with the idea that you'll get access to the Barbie brand. But again, Mattel is really, really, really protective of Barbie. The original Toy Story movie. When Pixar was working on the third act of its first ever feature-length animated film, John Lasseter, Pete Docter, and Andrew Stanton came up with what they thought was a brilliant idea to juice this section of that movie. Okay. So Sid is just taking Buzz out to the backyard. He's he's going to strap a a rocket to his back and then blow up the Space Ranger. And Woody is trapped in Sid's bedroom. A door's locked, window's locked, there's no way out. And it, it's looking really bleak, but in the version of the story that, again, John Lasseter and company came up with, Woody hears the sound of a roaring car out in the hallway, and then the door to Sid's bedroom flies open, and here comes Barbie's pink Cadillac. <laughs> but you've never seen this Barbie before. Okay, it's Barbie in a black leather jacket with dark sunglasses on, and she stops like millimeters from from uh, you know woody throws up in the door and, and literally and the, her best schwarzenegger voice come with me if you want to live <laughs> <laughs> and so now it's badass barbie who is driving woody through the house you know from the second story of the house down the stairs all the time being chased by the family's pit bull scud oh my god and she's crazy. the one who bursts through the door you know drives the big catalog on Two wheels through the doggy door, out into the backyard, throws Woody out. It's like, you stall him. I'll go get reinforcements. And it was just, it's a great scene. It's a, It would have been hugely fun. But they don't have the rights to the character. So they have to go sure. to Mattel and pitch them on it. And it's like, oh. <laughs> we want to take your most beloved character. And are you ready for this? Go ahead. Yeah, we go. And, and, and that was the thing that Mattel uh. just would not, it, it just, it never made it out of the meeting. And now, what, what year is this? It, this is 93. Remember, uh, Toy Story didn't come out until 95. Right. Um, well, the funny, anyway. thing, the funny thing is, mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. Mattel clearly kept that idea that Lasseter had. Because you remember the, the Nissan commercial mm-hmm. in 97 that had the Barbie Playhouse where mm-hmm. Barbie slides down from the Playhouse and, and they, they get into, the, uh, into a, one of the Nissans. I think it was a, the 300ZX. The reason mm-hmm. I remember it is um, uh, Van Halen is playing in the background. So they not only uh, not only did Nissan get Barbie, they got Van Halen. But well, but it's the I, same idea, right? It's this oh, Barbie. Oh no no no! Like, no. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, and, well, no. It's so funny you mentioned that because that's the thing. When Toy Story came out 
in November of 1995 and not only became this smash hit film, but became a pop culture phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Battelle realized, oh, crud, we made a mistake. In 1996, almost immediately, a Toy Story sequel goes into development and oh, sure. Pixar returns Battelle and it's like, okay, all right, we get it. This time you can definitely have Barbie. But even then, they are still very hands on. You know, in fact, if you remember the movie, you don't get badass. Barbie in that movie. You get tour guide Barbie, who right. you know, yeah. who is driving uh, Ham and Mr. Potato Head and and Rex and Slinky Dog around Al's toy barn, and he's literally doing the <laughs> Disney theme park spiel of "Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times and no flash photography," and then does it in Spanish. <laughs> It took another 10 years for Toy Story 3, where finally it's Mattel's like, all right, all right, we get it. We're sorry. You can do whatever the hell you want with Barbie and Ken. And that's why they are such a huge part of that Toy Story sequel. Got it, got it. Okay, so eventually they made up. All right, so let's talk about uh, Magical World of Barbie. How did that happen? That show opens officially in January of 1994, but we talked about there was an earlier edition of the show which debuted just before Thanksgiving for one performance. Wow. And then got shut down. First of all, there's kind of a lead up to this. It's like, well, why is Barbie going into Walt Disney World Science and Discovery Park? And and if you go back to the the press release, the company released in spring of 93, it's like, well, Barbie has played so many roles and represented so many cultures that it was felt that, you know, World Showcase would be the the perfect venue for the show and where she would be an ambassador of friendship. And here's the weird thing. They start, they write this thing. They rehearse for three months, Len, in the summer of 93. And finally, the show's ready to debut in the park. And so they kick open the doors, and there's an entire row of Mattel executives. And they're sitting there watching the show. And again, Barbie travels the world. So one of her, her first stops is Australia, and where she interacts with a character called Wombat Dundee. <laughs> All right. Okay, come on. That's funny. Okay. Wombat. And Wombat Dundee. All right. And, but but here's the thing. There's a section of the show where it's a one, one line, one joke. You know, it's effective. Oh, let's throw a, a couple of shrimps on the bobby. And, and that was it. Mattel shut down the show. Throw, throw the line, throw another shrimp on the Barbie. Throw another shrimp on the Barbie. And they felt that's disrespectful to their marquee, you know, character. Really? Okay, also sure. weirdly sexual. And it was like, what? Really? You know, but, but yeah, it was just one of these throw things an, where... Throw another shrimp on the Barbie. I mean, I like to think I'm creative, Jim, but I cannot, I cannot, I can't see that. <laughs> like, what, what am I missing here? Oh, <laughs> my... I do not know what to tell you. There was also evidently a concern about a throwaway line about Ken having plastic hair, but they shut down the show for six weeks to totally rewrite the script, to totally restage the show. And then it comes back online, tail end of the holiday season for 1993, 1994. Now, you would think Disney at some point would be like, I don't know if I want to deal with these people. Yeah, I'm not going to do three months of rewrites for a a Barbie show in Epcot, but all right. They were so serious about, you know, wanting to be in the Disney princess business. And remember, they offered to sponsor attractions. So out in California, for example, Mattel picked up the sponsorship for It's a Small World, the version of the attraction that had opened in 66. That thing had never had a gift shop up until that point. What? But as Puck... 
Never had a gift shop. Never had a you know had a gift card out front, but never had a dedicated gift shop. What Mattel offered to do? Hold on. Wait. So Mattel Mattel looks at a at a ride that is filled with hundreds of small dolls, <laughs> and yes. says, "I I think we know what we're doing here." <laughs> All right. Go ahead. I mean, it's not just build a gift shop at the exit of the ride. What they do is on Mattel's dime, they swap the entrance and the exit to Small World. So with the notion of people are getting off of the ride so much faster and then being funneled straight into this brand new, uh, it's it's literally called the, the it's a Small World uh, fantasy shop. Funneled okay. straight into this, this space. And there's this famous Disney axiom to the effect of, Disney has 56 seconds to get you from an attraction in front of merch for that attraction. You know, at the, evidently... It, oh, because you're still, it, like, you're high on the buzz from the ride. There we go. There we but go. only your for a minute, and you're, then you're thinking about, like... Mm-hmm. Really? So it's a minute? 56 seconds? Well, uh, under a minute. And in fact, supposedly oh. at 57 seconds, your sales resistance increases. You're thinking so, about the next yeah. thing you're going to do. You're thinking about the heat, where you have to walk to, bathroom breaks, That's stuff exactly. like that. exactly... Oh, that's See, super smart. But here's the thing. The way they reconfigured the exit for Small World, boat pulls in, 15 seconds later, you are in that shop. Disney was like, yeah, they want six weeks of rehearsal, but show me again the Small World sales. You know. <laughs> then, then, the, for the year that this show is in the park, Mattel sells what they call Birthday Barbie. It's the Barbie oh. that's been produced for the 35th anniversary of the launch of the character. And on this box, Len, is an offer. If you send us a penny, we will send you a video of Barbie's birthday party at Walt Disney World Epcot 94. Oh, like a VHS cassette? A VHS cassette for just a penny. For a penny? For a penny. All right. I mean, and think about it again. We're we're talking about you know a doll that sells fifty eight million dolls a year, a mm-hmm. hundred dolls being sold every minute of every day, and and the whole oh, notion yeah. of all of those cassettes at home, all of the kids you know continually playing them and and sort of enticing mom and dad like, eh, well maybe we should go to Walt Disney World. So, so they were willing to put wow. up with a, a certain amount of crud to, to have this deal go on. And so anyway, Barbie show magical world of Barbie finally officially launches January of 1994 continues into the summer of 1995, largely forgettable show ends like every other Disney theme park show of that era. There's a release of doves. There's daytime pyro for a lot of folks. If you ask them, they can't remember the show, but they do remember the meet and greet. Oh, God. There was a meet and greet? There was a meet and greet. The reason it was a memorable meet and greet is it was Barbie and Ken next to this super stretch limo that had been painted metallic pink. You'd have seen the stretch limo before. It was the Limouse zine that hit the road back in 1988 uh, for Mickey's 60th, and it was also used to promote uh, the debut at Walt Disney World that year of Mickey's Birthday Land. So this thing had just been sitting backstage, and it was just like, oh, we're doing the Barbie show, and yeah, why don't we paint it pink? And to help you kill time while you're waiting in line to get your picture or get uh, Ken and Barbie's autographs, 
they filled this thing with Barbie memorabilia. So you could literally look into the car and look at Barbie dolls from decades past, which then broiled in the Florida sun and probably became completely destroyed. <laughs> but speaking of limousines, at some point in the future, Len, we are going to have to talk about the Barbie-themed overhaul that was once proposed for the short-lived Superstar Limo attraction at Disney's California Adventure. Now, I know uh, we all have gotten to experience the Monsters, Inc. Mike and Sully to the Rescue ride that was eventually put into that spot in the park. But the Barbie's Dreamhouse ride that was briefly bandied oh, about. Is there, could you imagine? Evidently, when it was pitched at Imagineering, everybody is like, that's the greatest thing, <laughs> you know, and, and, but again, as to why it didn't get built, topic for another Well, time I mean, think about it. You could do, you could do the Barbie uh, Dreamhouse elevator as a way to get guests, you know, to the ride. And you could, I mean, there should be a slide segment as uh, no. well. I mean, there's tons of stuff. By the way, you know, speaking of, speak, so I know Mattel is not, are they doing anything currently with Disney? That is an interesting question. I will have to poke at that. And here's why I mentioned that. The next time mm -hmm. you and I are out mm -hmm. visiting our uh, imaginary friends in Glendale, um, mm -hmm. if the new Mattel Adventure Park is oh. open, which is in Glendale and includes mm -hmm. Hot Wheels rides, mm -hmm. um, they're building an actual Barbie beach house in Glendale. We should, we should go see And there's a Thomas the Tank Engine thing. We should definitely go see that. It's a... It's called Mattel Adventure Park. And if, wow. you, go, if you go to MattelAdventurePark.com, there's mm -hmm. actually a live construction camera oh, that maybe. shows how they're doing. But, Jim, uh, the fact that they're in Glendale, <laughs> which is uh, you know, the home of Walt Disney Imagineering, tells me that mm -hmm. they do not lack for resources oh, for no, getting no, things no, done no. yet. No, no, that, that, that whoever's not working at America's Heartland, I, we know where they're working now. Well, yeah, so. and I mean, they've, they've already got, it looks like, track for a roller coaster up, and it looks like an on-site hotel. So, yeah, oh. ready to go there. All oh, right, no, no, no. we, we okay. may have next more up. Barbie things to talk about in the next few years. <laughs> there we go. That is fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, Jim brings on a special guest to tell us about the early days of running Shanghai Disneyland, which was announced on this day back in 2005. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Lennett, touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be calling the bingo games at the 2023 Pittston Tomato Festival, starting at 7 p.m. nightly from August 17th through the 20th at the Tomato Festival Lower Lot, just off Main Street in beautiful downtown Pittston, Pennsylvania. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.